Well, what could be so significant that we would choose to interrupt our regularly scheduled programming just to stop and acknowledge and celebrate it? I mean, I was kind of asking this, feeling like I, I turned 50 a few weeks ago and no one stopped the presses and pulled out the pom-poms for that. So what could be such a big deal? Uh, but what we recognized is that as we look through the Bible, we see people of faith and families of God doing this from time to time, stopping to acknowledge what God has done among them and kind of marking it as a moment of celebration and acknowledgement uh, of where he's brought them. And uh, lately in our church family, based on years, if not decades of journeying together, uh, we feel like we've arrived at one of those moments and wanna just pause and acknowledge and celebrate that together. If you're unfamiliar with what I'm referring to, I'm gonna kind of frame it uh, in terms of a story of uh, one family in our church community, uh, a couple by the name of Tony and Michelle. They met with me uh, a few years back and uh, had been part of another church, but were struggling uh, in their experience and in their engagement of that church because the church was demanding that they sign a statement of beliefs that they aligned with and ascribed to uh, in order to participate in the church, in order to be involved in, in any way. And the problem for Tony and Michelle was that uh, they had a son who's gay, and uh, as a result, some of the investigative work that they had done in the scriptures and theologically when it came to issues of sexuality and marriage didn't totally line up with what they were being asked to sign. And, and more than that, uh, as they shared with me, they felt that signing that was actually harmful, not just to their son, but to, to, to other people. LGBTQ plus people and, and families and allies and whatnot. And so they, they found themselves stuck. They, they, they felt like they couldn't park a car, was the way that they described it to me. They couldn't park a car in this community without affirming that they believed the exact same things as everybody else. And so in this meeting, we spent a couple hours together and uh, in as kind and compassionate way as I know how, uh, I started to draw on my whiteboard and uh, I, I drew the picture of two circles and the two circles I intended to represent the two views that followers of Jesus have these days when it comes to the biblical interpretation of the definition of marriage. And if you're unfamiliar with this, you know, one's referred to as the historical view that marriage is exclusively restricted to a man and a woman uh, versus what's known as the affirming view that sees scripture permitting space, if not embracing that a covenant marriage commitment uh, can exist uh, among same-sex couples. And so as I talked about that, I, I, I drew those circles then together and kind of overlapping. And I said, this kind of represents the journey that we sense God has our community on, a journey where these circles are increasingly coming together and people who hold both of these views can coexist in one spiritual family. And I shared that with them, hoping that this could be a place where they and their family could uh, not only belong, but could actively participate in a free and full way. Now, back up about 10 years from that conversation to kind of the early or mid-2000s, where I would say this journey began for us as a church community, and especially for us as leaders, when 
we recognized that we had a problem to solve. This all started for us by acknowledging that there was a problem to solve, what we referred to as an impact problem, where we recognized that the impact that the Christian church had had and was having, and even the impact that our church had had and was having, and more importantly, was known to have on LGBTQ plus people was very different than the impact that Jesus had on anybody when he walked the earth. And so we had kind of committed to trying to solve that problem by, by bridging the impact gap between Christ and Christians, at least in and among our community. But no sooner had we dipped our toe into trying to solve that problem than we realized that we had another problem on our hands. And that was the intensity of polarization and the radioactive division that came with trying to talk about these issues among Christians, that Christians had such harshly divided, such strong opinions and even biblical convictions about these matters that it felt like things were just incompatible. And so we wondered early on in this journey how we would be able, or more importantly, how God would be able to neutralize this polarization and division enough to create the safety of space whereby, at least in our community, we could see that impact on LGBTQ plus people changed. And you know, it wasn't long after kind of wrestling with those early problems that we were kind of confronted or maybe presented with a passage in scripture that frankly we, or at least I, had never really known before or, or hadn't paid much attention to. And it exists in one of the Apostle Paul's letters, not the book of Philippians that we're studying right now, but in the book of Romans, his letter to the church at Rome. And in the first half of his letter to the Romans, Paul kind of puts together his most comprehensive and thorough theological treatise of what the gospel is, what the good news of Jesus is ultimately all about. And then in the back half of the letter, he addresses some personal issues that this church in particular was facing. And he begins to address one of those issues in Romans 14, 1, where he says this. He says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. And if you're not familiar with what he addresses in Romans 14 and then in Romans 15, he's addressing two issues that are in the process of dividing the Roman church. One is the issue of eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols, and the other is the issue of observing Sabbaths, like taking days off. And uh, for you and I today, those might not seem like, you know, big deals or deals worth uh, kind of fighting over, but appreciate that in the first century, these issues were directly related to the Ten Commandments, to the commandment about idolatry and the, the commandment about observing Sabbaths. And so there were people very kind of strongly living on both sides of this issue. People who believed that you had to observe a Sabbath day and people who didn't think it was that big a deal and people who believed you could absolutely not eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols and other Jesus followers that thought that it was, it was no big deal. And so you had these kind of independent circles of sorts that the Apostle Paul is trying to bring together by having people in this Roman church coexist as people of multiple diverse convictions in a single community. 
by not quarreling and not breaking fellowship over what he calls these disputable matters. Now, I'm not going to dig in deep to what he teaches them to do. I just want to highlight some of uh, kind of the summary teaching in Romans 14 and 15 that was really kind of relevant to us that we really hadn't paid a lot of attention to before. Because first things first, this might be counterintuitive when it comes to drawing divergent and polarizing views together. Paul teaches that if you're going to navigate these different beliefs and bring circles together, number one is to have a conviction to actually be rooted in the scriptures yourself. He says in Romans 14, verse 5, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. He says each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Paul says counterintuitively, the way to bring these circles together is not to be wishy-washy in your beliefs or just believe anything, but rather to have firm convictions based on thorough biblical investigation to arrive at those conclusions, to know what you believe and why you believe it, to establish that and to live out and hold those convictions, as he says, to the Lord out of faith and obedience to Christ. But when it comes to relating to people around you, he says, your job isn't to force those convictions on other people, but to hold them yourself. He says, you know, uh, step number two is to not judge other people, to not be a person with those convictions that judges other people who hold different convictions than yours. In Romans 14, verse 10, he says, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat one day. He said, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, he says, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of another brother or sister. He said, when it comes to relating to other people, your job isn't to judge them. Your job is to focus on yourself and the holding and living out of your own conviction with its integrity. And in fact, what he says, what he says is when it comes to other people, be a bridge builder and pursue oneness with them. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. He says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. He says, don't just tolerate people of different conviction than yours. Actively build a bridge of oneness and unity with them. Be what's called a peacemaker, not a peace haver. Actually build a bridge of love and oneness with them that supersedes your conviction. And he says, to do that, you've got to be committed to not destroying the work of God for what he calls the sake of food. He's ranking these issues that people felt were deal breakers in their day as not worth breaking the deal over when he categorizes them as disputable matters. And he says the way you navigate them is by having a conviction, not judging others for their conviction, and instead being a peacemaker that pursues oneness with them in Christ. 
I gotta say that those teachings and that, that, that those chapters in the Bible had been so foreign to us, they kind of blew our minds. And we started to wonder whether in this time in our church's history, in this degree of division and polarization that we were sensing around the interpretations of the biblical definition of marriage, whether this kind of framework could apply. And so it, it caused us to kind of reflect on that. And again, just in a kind of a summative way today, I want to reflect on sort of the, the, the two overarching conclusions uh, that we landed on. The first was to appreciate that at the end of the day, what is intended to unite followers of Jesus is the gospel itself and the gospel alone, what we know as by grace alone, through our faith alone, in Christ alone. Anything else that you add to that, any supplementary Jesus plus, is actually diluting and polluting the purity and simplicity of the person and message of Christ. We learned this a few years ago when we studied through another one of Paul's letters, uh, that one addressed to the Galatian church, where in Galatians 3, he, he corrects them this way. He says in verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Paul says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard about Christ? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? See, so what was happening was that Paul was speaking against what was called Judaizers. People were trying to add to the purity and simplicity of the gospel of Jesus some additional Jewish law, some additional requirements, so that to belong to that community and to follow Jesus meant Jesus plus some other stuff. And he says, that's not the way it works. That actually dilutes and pollutes the gospel of purity and simplicity of devotion to Christ alone. He goes on to say, because in Christ, that is where your common identity lies. Look what he says later uh, in that chapter. He concludes Galatians 3 this way. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, meaning through faith alone for all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Your identity is in him. He says, now there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He says, the way in that church you bring divergent, seemingly incompatible circles together is by unifying around your common identity in the person of Jesus by collectively putting him at the center and living out the purity and simplicity of devotion to him alone, by God's grace alone, through your faith alone, in Christ alone. That those are what is essential to following Jesus. Everything else, in that sense, non-essential. So that was kind of one half of what we had to consider. The other part of what we had to consider was whether the biblical interpretations of the definition of marriage fell into that non-essential or, or sort of disputable category. And again, in kind of a summative way, among all kinds of different texts and, and, and views of the scriptures, I think one of the things that was most significant to us, or at least to me as a leader, was Jesus' response to some religi religious leaders in his day. 
where there was a group of people called the Sadducees who tried to pin Jesus into the corner by testing him. And they said, imagine that a woman is married to a man, but the man dies. And so by custom, she's going to marry his next brother in line. But then that brother dies, and so again, she marries the next brother, and this happens and repeats itself seven different times. So she's married to seven different brothers. They've all died. When she dies, the Sadducees ask, ask Jesus, who will she be married to? Will she be married to the first one or the most recent one or all of them at the same time? They were trying to pin Jesus and back him into a corner. And Jesus' answer kind of stunned me, especially in relation to what we're talking about today. In Matthew 22, verse 29, he says, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. You're actually in error. You don't know the scriptures, he says to them. He says that the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. He says in the resurrection, in eternity, people will be like angels. They won't marry or be given in marriage. And when you think about the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the portion that says, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And realize that in heaven, the dynamics of marriage and human relationships are going to look very different than they look today. We started to wonder whether maybe we were actually making a bigger priority or a bigger deal about something that is obviously important and obviously sacred and obviously matters to God, but whether we were making biblically a bigger deal about it than Jesus even intended. We started to wonder whether, you know, because it's not essential and because it's not eternal, whether our interpretations of the biblical definition of marriage could be disputable and could live in that framework of Romans 14 and 15 as we navigated them. Well, that's been the journey that God's had us on. That was the journey that God had us on when I met with Tony and Michelle and drew those circles overlapping because by 2015, 2016, we started to kind of share these different views with our church community in hopes that we could just understand them better and understand each other better and develop a bit of mutual appreciation and respect. Fast forward to 2019 and leading into 2020, we felt like by that point, th this was the way that you navigate a, a contentious division, divisive issue like this and how you create space within it for LGBTQ plus people in your community that changes the impact that the church has on them. And we felt like this was a, a place that, that, that we would head. Then, of course, the pandemic hit and, you know, things kind of stalled. But coming out of the pandemic, we have felt like in a full and free way, this is who we want to be as a community. And so over the last number of weeks, we've shared with our members that we are kind of formally and officially going to live out this framework when it comes to the biblical interpretations of the definition of marriage among us. We're going to live out this disputable matters framework, this having a conviction, not judging each other, and being peacemakers who build bridges to one another to bring these circles together. And the language we've used the whole time, if you've been around, you've heard us use this phrase, we've called it love beyond belief. 
That's not just a, a pithy phrase. It's meant to, to, to represent kind of the real technical nature of what we understand God doing among us in choosing to value and choosing to unite and choosing to identify ourselves around the primacy of the person of Jesus and the primacy of his new command, new covenant law of love above the ancillary theological issues that might otherwise divide us, even ones that we hold nearly and dearly, especially as we recognize that when they're not essential and not eternal, they can be disputable among us. And I've got to say, since kind of developing this framework and even kind of testing it out, we've recognized the power that these two chapters of scripture can have in a community even, or especially in our day and age. We saw this, especially during the pandemic on so many other issues, you know, whether we were open or closed or, you know, masked or unmasked or people were electing to get vaccinated or not. And, you know, people landed on all kinds of different sides and it, it was tremendously polarizing for us as a society. But in our church community, it became a framework whereby we could mutually understand and mutually respect each other in ways that could appreciate that these things, as deeply as we hold them, aren't necessarily e essential and they're not necessarily eternal. So we can navigate them through this framework as disputable. It's been super powerful. That doesn't mean that it's been easy, quite the opposite. And I would say, especially as we've been navigating the different biblical interpretations of the definition of marriage, it's been hard for everybody. It's been hard for people who held a historical view and even during this process have kind of reviewed the scriptures and have landed again on a historical view. We know it's been hard for you because you've been asked to change not to change your view. We've been clear on that, that a community like ours wants to be free and full to express both of these views. And so we're not asking you to change your view, but we have asked you to develop the stomach and the spirit to live compatibly and live in unity and harmony with people of different views. Same thing, inversely, uh, has applied to people of an affirming view. We've asked you to hang in there and to, instead of going fast by going alone, to go far by going together and to work and to walk with us and to be patient and trust the process as we try to bring along as many people as possible, not to your view, but to a harmony of views through love beyond belief. And we appreciate the way that you've had an other's orientation as well. And so now we feel like we've neutralized that polarization and division enough to invite people into a full and free expression of both views, which ultimately we're thrilled to provide as a safer environment for LGBTQ folk. And we hope particularly for the LGBTQ folk among us that you will appreciate the kind of church that we're seeking to be. You know, I want you to know how sorry we are for how long this has taken. We've done this with an urgency to change the impact in and to your life. We're sorry for the tremendously detrimental impact that the Christian church and even our church has had over the years. And we pray that in this fuller and freer expression of love beyond belief, where we've landed on these issues, that kind of drawing a line in the sand, we can begin 
to change that impact in your life. And you can participate in exploring, experiencing, and expressing Christ in a significant way as you belong fully and freely to our community. At the end of the day, this is what we're celebrating and kind of what we felt was so significant to just draw a line in the sand, stop the presses, interrupt our regular scheduled programming to acknowledge that God has led us through what essentially has felt like retaping in these two chapters of the Bible that we formerly had ignored or never even knew existed to create a pathway forward where we could neutralize otherwise divisive of polarization and instead allow and embrace the free and full expression on conflicting views, particularly when it comes to the biblical interpretations of the definition of marriage, that we're in a place where we can draw these two circles fully together as one community unified around the love beyond belief of the purity and simplicity of devotion to Christ. I mean, formerly, We didn't know these two chapters even existed. Formerly, we had never heard of disputable matters. Formerly, nothing was even disputable. If you held a conviction, it kind of fought to the death, and people who didn't share that conviction with you, well, they were written off. But today and moving forward here at Southridge, we want to be a different kind of community that can live out the fullness and the freedom and the power of what we call love beyond belief. You know, it's funny when we announced this uh, a few weeks ago, first to our membership, uh, after that meeting, the first person to kind of run up and give me a big bear hug was Tony from Tony and Michelle. As I looked into his eyes, you know, he just was so celebrating being part of the journey that God had us on and couldn't believe that those circles had finally come together. We chatted a little bit, and he was celebrating how, you know, in in their life group, they get to do church with people of of differing views and differing convictions, but experience the depth of love and commitment and oneness with each other, while at the same time now feeling a fullness and a freedom to articulate and to express his and their views on their biblical interpretation of the definition of marriage that in turn can create a safety and an opportunity for their son to explore and experience and express their faith in Christ. You know, as we wrap up today, I want you to hear a little bit from Tony and Michelle about their journey and why where we're at today is so significant for them. And as you hear their heart, ask yourself whether there are Tony and Michelle's in your life that you know of who find themselves stuck or hurting or lost that could use nothing more than the belonging of a safe and supportive community where all of us, irrespective of the views that may divide us, all of us are gonna live out a biblical framework to have a conviction, to not judge each other, and to be peacemakers that build oneness with each other as we pursue the primacy of the person of Jesus above everything else that might otherwise divide us. Listen to their hearts as we take this time to acknowledge and celebrate where God has brought us as a community living out the fullness and freedom of love beyond belief. Check out their story.